0: You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode.
1: Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Worshipology podcast. And uh, listen, today I'm really excited because uh, I've got Natalie Runyon on the other line. And Natalie, I mean, just... Race to stay is something that like our entire church staff follows and your name has just popped up all over the place when they when they found out I was talking to you today. Uh people were getting geeked out. So Natalie, what's up? Say hey.
0: <laughs> Hello everyone. Oh my gosh, that makes me laugh so hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I made a lot of people jealous uh today and I mean, we're going to get into some good stuff, but I mean, part of your story that's really cool is that, you know, I mean, we're going to get into this, but you know, you are a worship leader. And, and here you have this incredible uh, online ministry that's going to be turning into a book soon. I mean, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do.
0: Yeah, so I'm a pastor's kid from Cincinnati, Ohio, grew up in church, the Church of God. Actually, Cleveland, Tennessee was the mm-hmm. denomination that I was raised in. And, you know, watched my parents go through their own fair share of hurt and You know, pretty much decided, I don't think I want to do this with my life, and went to a very public university in Ohio and just had to wrestle with my faith as a pastor's kid, as a believer, just really what do I believe in? Why do I believe in it? And thankfully, Campus Crusade for Christ was there.
1: Let's and, go.
0: you know, Campus Crusade in the 90s and the early 2000s was just awesome. And yeah. we happened to have the largest Campus Crusade in the nation at the time, and Louis Giglio had just started passion. Wow. And it really kind of awakened in me, worship as a whole was sort of my gateway into Jesus, that mm. even though the church had hurt me and my family, when I worshiped, I forgot about that. I forgot wow. that I was hurt. And there was a little song that everybody now knows called Revelation Song that came out at that time, mm. and Jenny Riddle had written it, and Carrie Job was singing it, and a church asked me to come and lead worship for them while I was leading worship for Campus Crusade, and I sang that song, and I just was reawakened to a call that I think I had let go dormant. and. For about 10 years after college, I was bivocational as a gym teacher, and I led worship pretty much all over the Ohio and middle, you know, middle Ohio, Midwest area for the next Mm -hmm. 10 years. And it just, you know, was a time for me where I realized I did love the church. I just had to learn my relationship with the church, and it couldn't be my parents. It had to be mine. And so worship was a gift. It It was something that the Lord used to keep me in the church when I wanted to run away most.
1: Wow. I had no idea that Campus Crusade was a part of your story because that's a huge part of my story as well. I was at Virginia Tech, and I mean, you know, Thursday nights, we had about 600 students meeting there. And I think you're right. Like, as pastor's kids, sometimes we just, you know, y- your parents have this faith, and until you make it yours, I had a buddy once tell me, God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has kids. Right. And so and so you can't just you know, adopt a faith from your parents and expect their faith to be yours automatically. And you've seen that probably better than most people on the the, the effects of just um, sometimes being raised in church can turn people off to ministry. But talk to me a little bit more about your story because what was it that just captured? I mean, it sounds like worship. You just had this experience where it was your own faith and that's where you really found Jesus in that that experience of his presence. What was that like?
0: Growing up Pentecostal, so much of what we did was encounter. You know, and worship yeah, yeah. was that was that encounter. And once you see certain things, you can't unsee it. If you see somebody healed that you knew was in right. a wheelchair for most of your life and they get up and they walk, like you can't deny you saw that. Or if mm. you're with a student and you're praying with them and they receive Jesus and you encounter the living God in their life, like you can't unsee that. And worship was just this constant encounter for me that The Lord knew I needed to show that He was showing up in my circumstances, no matter how bad the day, no matter how hard the circumstances that He was in that. And I think He knew that I was going to respond to encounter first, and then I would develop my love for formation, and that through Mm. biblical worship, that I would learn who He was in His Word that wasn't based off emotion. But that was based off the truth of who his word said he was and who I was to him based off his word. And, you know, it's hard to love a church when you don't love yourself. Mm. And worship was how I learned that God loved me, that it wasn't based off what I did, that it wasn't based off what my position was. But when I asked to meet with him, he never hesitated. He wanted to be with me. And, you know, the formation piece for me probably came later in life where I was songwriting and really wanted to sing songs that declared over the church who he was. And if mm. he, I couldn't declare it as truth then that I would declare who I needed him to be. Wow! And the only way that I could write those songs is twofold. If I knew his word and I loved his church.
1: The whole idea of loving the bride of Christ, it's not really an option, is it? No. And yet I think I think so many times we we have these conversations and I kind of want to dive into this a little bit because here we're coming out of 2020, 2021, 22. I mean, I, th- I still think we're in this rediscovery phase, almost a reorientation of the church. Who are we? What do we believe? And I mean, you know, there's been this era of deconstruction to, for lack of better term. And I mean, you could probably put better language on this, but what what have you seen As far as this modern worship movement, I mean, because, you know, going back to the time of Campus Crusade, you know, I'm 40 years old and, you know, 2000, I graduated from high school. Around that time, you know, Matt Redmond's coming out with The Heart of Worship and it's a different era of worship music, whereas today, and I don't know if you've gotten a hold of Jeremy Riddle's book, The Reset, but wow, like what an eye opening book on just like where worship has become almost industrialized Um, How are you seeing all of that kind of tie into people's stories and even kind of on that deconstruction landscape?
0: Well, you know, you and myself and Jeremy Riddle, most of the worship leaders who were in that time of the late 90s through the middle 2000s, worship was so innocent. We sat Mm -hmm. around campfires. It's kind of like that old church basement song from Elevation. We were flipping transparencies, and we knew four guitar chords, and nobody was recording us, and on, nobody, on, nobody yeah. had cameras. And we were really worshiping because we wanted to be with each other and with Jesus. And mm. it wasn't about the person playing. It wasn't about the person singing. There was no microphones. It was truly community at its finest for us. And I'm amazed at how quickly it got perverted because we saw what happened when you put a camera on someone and suddenly there was language around who the person was singing and there was YouTube, and there was Facebook and something that was so innocent so quickly became a promise that we couldn't fulfill for everyone. And that was fame. Wow. Wow. Whereas when we were alone around the campfire, the one thing we could promise people was that they would encounter God and they would find community. Now we're saying, if you're a worship leader, you might get a platform and you might become famous. And that's the goal. And we lost the two parts that are so biblical. And that's biblical community and encounter with the Holy Spirit.
1: How do we get back to that? How do we get back to that on a practical, spiritual, relational level with with our teams? Because, right, you know, we've got a lot of worship leaders and worship teams listening to this podcast. And I think deep down inside every worship leader And it's crazy because I'm actually preaching this weekend at our church about getting back to your first love and putting God first above everything else. And yet, you know, we're surrounded by the realities and the day to days and that, you know, hey, this has to be excellent. And you're constantly bombarded by this, you know, perfection culture that we see out there. How do you fight against that? And how do you keep those two things that you just said, biblical community and an encounter with the Holy Spirit? How do you keep that front and center?
0: Well, nobody's going to like this answer because it's not fun and it's certainly not popular, but you have to remember (laughs) that our cell phones are our greatest distractions and Mm. the platform is the second greatest distraction because most of our teams, if I'm being honest, are only gathering when they are on a platform together. Wow. So one of the things Jeremy Riddle would always talk about when they were at Bethel, I believe, was how... They would bring together this community and they would worship together because if you can't Mm. worship together in private, what makes us think we're going to be able to lead people in public? And when I think about like what made us so innocent, it was that we didn't have cell phones recording anything. We showed up, we did our thing. And it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it actually fall? It's like if nobody records worship, did it actually happen? Right. And so I think for teams... Having team nights that are non-negotiable, but team nights where you come in together, you put your cell phones in a basket, and we say for one hour, it's us and God. One hour. Wow. We're going to prophesy. We are going to cast a vision. We are going to get on our faces. And we are Mm. going to seek the Lord, and we are going to pray for one another like we are in the upper room. And we are not going to stop until the Lord says stop. Stop. Wow. And when we, when we start there, that is where I believe that that unity commands the Lord's blessing. And if that's mm-hmm. what we're doing behind closed doors, imagine what will happen when we finally do step onto that public space. All yeah. of that will just be overflow of the private.
1: And you've got to create space for that, don't you? I think that's the, that's the challenge in this day and age. It's like, okay, for a team night, can we set aside one hour? Can we emphasize the importance and the non-negotiable side of that? And I know, so now you're at New Life. Uh, is that something that you guys are practicing now? Or are you working towards that? I mean, we just had Seth Putnam on the podcast, so we got a little glimpse into the culture there. And just, you know, obviously, like, New Life has such a rich heritage of, of worship and, and I mean, going all the way back to Desperation Band for me. But, I mean, talk to me a little bit about how do you create that space and make it a priority, not just for yourself, but help your team see the need for that.
0: It's it's nearly impossible to go all the way back to what we had in the 80s and 90s. You know, because life has changed yeah. and one yeah. thing that I love about new life is that their leadership models what we want to see, and that is they carve out space for 24-7 prayer. We have a, a prayer center where we have somebody on a piano and somebody's singing, and we're inviting mm. the congregation in to pray. Not every opportunity is a big stage opportunity for worship, and it's yeah. in those spaces that skills are honed. and An encounter is is encouraged, and I think our people then trust what they see on the main platform because they're watching our people lead in these smaller spaces. And when you have a guy like John Egan who has been at New Life for nearly twenty five years and has Mm. has really fought for the purity of a worship culture, that is a gift. And not every church has someone who's willing to contend for a healthy worship culture, and so. Wherever you are, be it a big church or a small church, we really need to be what we needed when we started. And what did we need? We needed a culture that pointed us to Jesus first Mm -hmm. and to performance second, and then we create that culture. And we know that vision leaks, and that can be a good leakage or a bad leakage. And so Mm. you cannot cast vision enough with your people. And that's what New Life does really well is they are constantly casting vision as to what worship is and what it isn't. And then they model that. And so I think I've been blessed to see that over the last six years, but I've also been in environments where it isn't a priority, where people are hiring giggers, they just want the best musicians in the land, and then Mm -hmm. you sacrifice what the true vision is of worship in your church because you're just desperate. And wow. I I would rather see us with one acoustic player and a mediocre singer who have a heart for Jesus than the best giggers in the city who don't even know who Jesus is.
1: This is there's this definite call back to authenticity, and I think, I think it's twofold. I think it's going to be in the corporate setting and also in the private setting, like you said, like individually. What are some things that you've been able to do, like not on a platform, not around a church staff, not around other people, but even just personally making sure that, and we can even kind of lean into this a little bit, making sure that you don't get bitter, jaded when things don't go the way that like we see in the Bible, they're supposed to go around us, or even in the sense of like having that Holy Spirit encounter on the regular day. Is it just living that life of devotion? I mean, what are some, some ways that you've kind of been able to practically live that out?
0: Well, to be totally vulnerable. I mean, I'm 43, and at Mm -hmm. 40, my worship career was cut short, and not by my choice. It was kind Mm. of just decided that I would no longer lead worship anymore. And I remember being so mad that I hated worship music. I I couldn't even listen to worship music on Spotify because I just was sick of it. I was tired of... Um, what I had let it become to me, what we have let it come and become in culture, the fact that we were so quick to just discard people because of age or gender, or because mm. we're trying to keep up with the church down the street, and we're losing good anointed leaders because we want talent. And wow. I just became bitter. i I found myself just like, God, if this is what being a worship leader is then this isn't what I signed up for. And the Mm -hmm. Lord really had to draw me back into his word and back into longing for his presence over a song where I was just so desperate to be with him. I didn't even need music on. And sometimes I think as worship leaders, we think we need like the perfect song to have the perfect quiet time. And I really learned to just be with the Lord in silence. And the Lecto Divina that's on our iPhone apps where you can get on there Mm -hmm. and you can do these, you know, three minute John Eldridge has a beautiful one where I would just lay in the stillness of God and just write my own songs that are just without any music that just say thank you and not doing it because I need to turn it in or not because I want to put it on YouTube, but because that's where it started was in my Mm. room with the Holy spirit at 12, saying, like, Mary, be it unto me as you have said. Mm. And and that's the heart of every worship leader, or it should be, is a posture of, be it unto me as you have said. And that means I'll go wherever you send me, and I'll sing whatever you want me to sing, and I'll be the best BGV if I'm never the soloist again. And if you never use a song in public, then let it be heard in private, you know? Wow that had to become my posture to heal me from that bitterness of what my expectation was versus God's best for me.
1: Wow. Let's, let's camp out there for just a moment because I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. There's so many times where, you know, and I'm kind of in that same boat. I think a lot of worship leaders that are listening probably would identify where there's a tipping point where you just are like, you know what? I'm over it. Like I can't, I can't be a part of like the quote unquote system anymore and it, it starts become, this is where you linger into that position of like, are we professional Christians or are we Christ followers first? Mm-hmm. And, and there's that danger of not knowing that, listen, yeah, you're called to, to lead, but you're, you're also called to follow. First and foremost, above everything, you're called to follow. And I would say this is like, you know, there's the, the moments where you can't listen to any other. And there's times where you just need to shut it off and get in that stillness and that quiet like you just talked about. But then there's a time where it's like, all right, I've had my time. Like, now I need to get up off the seat. Like, God, I'm ready. Like, how do you, how do you identify that moment where it's like, I think it was uh, Stephen Furtick who mentioned something about like, you can't lead from your wounds, but you can from your scars. How, how, how do you know that you are at that healing point where you can step back into leading others?
0: One of the greatest things that the Lord showed me was that he doesn't change his mind about us, but he will change his method and how he uses us. And Mm. while a lot of worship leaders think the only tool they have in their tool belt is their instrument or their voice or their writing ability, we are actually multifaceted creations of the almighty God who has more than one trick up our sleeve. And God (laughs) has reminded me constantly that his kids are not one trick ponies. Wow. And when we release the thing that we think is good, when we release the thing that we think is best, then it allows God to step in and to do a new thing in us. And he promises us that he will do a new thing. And I think yeah. part of our stale, stagnant despondence is when we become bitter that it didn't look the way we thought it was going to look, so we take our toys and we go home. When really God is saying, I might have shut this down or I might have caused a change in your heart, not because I've changed my mind about you or you've done anything wrong, but because I need to change my method and how I use you because the enemy already knows you as a worship leader, but he doesn't know you as a preacher or a missionary or the, the person who goes to the prison and sings for the five. Like He doesn't know you that way. So we need to change some things up. And do I have your permission to use you in a new way. And I think when we allow him to use us in a new way, then it kind of takes away this identity crisis of I'm only a worship leader. Mm. And we become so much more in the kingdom of God because he is a good father like that.
1: And I think a lot of people, you can discover that the easy way, the hard way, the easy way is just to be open-handed with it all. Right. And, and kind of keep this posture of like, I was just having this conversation yesterday with somebody on our team Uh, And and we're kind of going through this this period of like you know I'm I'm brand new on the staff here in Richmond Virginia area I've been here about six months so I'm learning the team, learning our culture but also you know, it's been six months of just building trust, building relationships, going to coffees, lunches and dinners and team nights. I love that you hit that earlier. And so now it's kind of like, okay, like I hope you guys know a little piece of my heart. Now, will you trust me? And so we're, we're kind of stepping into some new things. We're doing like, you know, a choir Sunday. We've got a different few venues that are open in here and there. And I just had a conversation with somebody that was like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. (laughs) And, and the question was, what do you care more about, like leading or serving, and and isn't that the question that like maybe all of us at some point need to ask ourselves? Is are we tying our serving to just leading, and what happens when you go through a season where that's taken away? Does your identity get taken away with that? Of course not. Talk about that for a little bit on like how you've been able to kind of like not have your identity solely tied to leading worship. Was that something that you kind of stumbled into, or was it something where it's was like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, kind of hitting that, that season where it was like, you're not leading worship anymore. Was that that season of discovering that, man, I'm so much more than just a worship leader that you tied me to?
0: It was when I was 40, and I remember being told, hey, we really need you to go take women's ministry. We, uh, Mm. and, and, you know, we're, I'm, this is a huge church, right? And Mm -hmm. I remember getting my office moved from worship into women's and the Lord really asking me, are you going to hand this to me? Or am I going to have to pry it from your cold dead hands? Because (laughs) I was having the temper tantrum. I was having the, this isn't what I signed up for moment. This was what I was telling my husband. I didn't move my family from Ohio to Colorado to be a women's pastor Mm. because the Lord knew I would have never done that. And I can remember being in that office. I felt so isolated. I felt almost like I was being punished from the Lord. And Mm. I wanted to quit. It was the first time in my life I thought, you know what? I feel bait and switched. Lord, you tricked me. That's not funny. And I want to go back home. (laughs) I want to go back home to Ohio where I could lead worship on a different street every day. Like I don't, this is not who I am. And I was walking the dog in like November of 2019 and I was telling him I've done this for 40 years this feels like a good holy number to tap out and I think I should just mm. go back and go back to teaching because this isn't what I signed up for and it was on that walk that the Lord gave me the audible phrase raise to stay
1: wow and
0: I've only heard the Lord that clearly on a few occasions and I ran home and I googled the phrase raise to stay and there was nothing And the Mm. Lord said, here's the deal. You keep on thinking that this worship leading thing is really why I made you, but that's not why I created you. I created you to go and make disciples and you're fighting me tooth and nail on this. And I am not going to give up because I have a plan for you. That's bigger than being a worship leader. And if you will surrender that identity to me, I will show you what's next. And I wrote my first black box that day. I wrote, Mm. The church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I just threw it on my Instagram and walked away. Wow. And three years later, this is where we are. And that is why God brought worship back into my life in college was because he knew it would bring me back into the church, back into ministry. But really why he created me was not to be a worship leader, but to tell people for the rest of their lives they can't quit. Wow. But I had to come to the end of myself so that He could begin and actually show me why He really made me. And it was more than just to be a singer on a platform or whatever I thought my worth was wrapped up in. Um, And it has been a daily surrender ever since.
1: I'm just in my office right now, like shaking my head because I'm still processing the 800 nuggets that are in that last 50 seconds. But just the fact that God would use probably your biggest pain point to give you your biggest calling um, that just says so much. And uh, I mean, like talk to me a little bit about these last three years from that moment of discovery and hearing the Holy spirit, just drop that in your heart. What has it been like with the raised to stay over these last three years that that thing developing and how have you seen so many people connect to that ministry?
0: I started writing the black boxes because I thought, well, if they help me not want to quit, maybe it'll help somebody else not want to quit. And it goes back to that be what you need, like be what you needed when you wanted to quit at 25, at 30, at 35, because we all want to quit a little bit of every day and knowing we're not alone is such a valuable part of being in the kingdom of God. And so those black boxes were actually my own heart's cry of why I was staying and why I was choosing to stay. And it was at the hardest part. I mean, COVID hit and there was so much happening in the global and local church at the time that I just thought I have to keep cranking these black boxes out because they're giving me life. And I was watching the community grow around my pain and around my... Vulnerability and honesty with the Lord, and honestly, kind of like saying things nobody actually wants to say, but I thought somebody has to say it, like you know, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it wasn't always popular, and I wasn't always received. And literally, up until last January, there were only 1200 people in the community, and I would have podcasters say things like, I just don't understand why you're audience isn't larger. And the Lord would say, you tell them because I only give you what you can steward.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: And some of us want, some of us want to lead worship for churches of 5,000, but we don't even know the five team members on our team. Come on. And, you know, we have to remember that God will only give us what we can handle. That's good and bad in some situations when it comes to ministry because right. He doesn't want us to fall. He doesn't want us to fail. And so at mm. the time, all I could handle was 1,200. And then out wow. of nowhere, this thing has exploded into what it is now. And, You know, I still answer my DMs. When people Mm. message me, I don't have an assistant answering my DMs. I answer them. And I have told the Lord, if you give it to me, I will steward it. And that's the way we have to be with worship is, Lord, if you give it to me, I will steward it. And if it's five people or 5,000, I'm going to lead them with the same amount of integrity and passion.
1: That's so good for Every aspect of life, and especially when it comes to leading worship, whether you're a songwriter, I mean, I know some people that want to write a CCLI top 100 hit, and they're not faithful to write the story of their church. Right. And and there's so many people that, yeah, we're going after that big stage, but you know what, man? God will never, and, and here's the deal, motives are everything. If he knows, and let's be honest, he knows every intention, every motive of the heart. If there's anything that is in and of you, that's not of his Holy Spirit, why would he give you the things of his heart if we haven't truly delighted ourselves in him? Like we love that Psalm 37 for, you know, grant the desires of my heart. Yeah, delight yourself in him first. And oftentimes he takes those desires and kind of like what you were saying on how you discovered the whole race to say, like he'll take your desires and be like, yeah, give that to me. I'm going to do a little tweak in here and I'll give it back to you when it is actually my desire and I'm going to place that in your heart. And I mean, wow, it's just, it's an incredible to kind of hear the backstory on that. Um, tell me a little bit about what this year looks like for Raised to Stay. I, I, I saw, is there a book in the works?
0: There is. So July 4th, Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry, When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away, will launch on the 4th of July. So me and America, we're coming at your Love doorstep. Love let's go. <laughs> um, and we're in pre-orders, and the pre-orders are just doing so well right now. And so I'm traveling. I'm going to be all over... Um, the United States, Mexico, Canada between now and June. And I'm just thrilled uh, to be sitting with churches and just reminding us all why we're still here. And it's partnering. It's a lot of partnership with other pastors and leaders who have their own stories and testimonies. And that is my favorite part of this. I obviously have my own family here in Colorado Springs. And so I'm also a mom first and a wife. So that's my main ministry. But when we look at Raise to Stay you know, this is what I wanted when I was a little girl, and I just didn't know how to put a language to it. And now the Lord has given me the desires of my heart to write a book that is making His name known, and then to travel and see the world and be part of other church communities that I can encourage, but that also encourage me. And that's just the iron sharpening iron piece of being in ministry.
1: I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for the book. Can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, I got to ask this question. So for the listener who is maybe on a worship team, maybe at that point where it's like, you know what? I I auditioned, they just let me go or, you know, they're just feeling kind of run through the mill right now, um about to give up. What would you say as a worship leader, as a pastor's kid now really leading this movement, what would your encouragement be to that worshiper?
0: You know, I would I would just remind you that you are more than what you do for the Lord and what you can do for Mm. the church. Mm. And there will be people who will question your talent. They won't see what God has put in you. But I would go back to the very reason you said yes to Jesus to begin with. That first moment when you said, I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to take up my net, and I want to go, and I want to make disciples. And I want to remind you that he didn't call you to be a worship leader. He called you to be an ambassador of Christ so good. And we often quit right before the breakthrough because that's the kind of enemy we have. But the God that we have is the God who redeems and restores all things. And he turns all of the things the enemy tries to do for our harm and he turns it for our good. And I believe we have a generation that would rather quit than fail. And we have to continue getting out there on the field. Showing up with whatever tools God has given us and saying yes with that same fervor, we said yes to him, whatever age we were, and trusting that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end, not halfway, because God doesn't do anything halfway. And I would also say that so many times the thing that we think is going to kill us is actually the beginning of a resurrection. And so when we find ourselves buried, we're in a really good position for a resurrection. So don't give up just because it's dark.
1: Natalie, I just want to get in the room and just hear you talk for like three hours. I mean, I think I think this upcoming tour is going to be incredible. We're going to put um, your link in the show notes. We're going to put a link to, of course, the Instagram page and everything that you're doing. I can't wait to see how God continues to use Raise to Stay. Let me ask you one last question in our time together today. Um, This is just something I've been asking people, especially kind of kicking off this new year. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you uh, these days um, as you kind of kick off a new year? What's like, you know, I I mean, not to get all cheesy. Some people have like, you know, a word for the year or a verse for the year. But maybe it's just something you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of deposited in you for such a time as this. Um, Yeah, I just love to hear that.
0: What I'm hearing just so much resounding right now is remnant, that Mm. God is calling his remnant to a place of confessing our brokenness that he can shine through, not a perfected people, but a broken, humbled people. And, you know, people travel thousands of miles to sit in cathedrals and stare at stained glass windows. And when Mm. I look at the church right now, I see us creating something with the Holy Spirit of all of our broken pieces, all of the miracles of our stories coming together to put together a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And it's through his light that we're going to shine bright. But in order for us to be part of that remnant, we have to be broken. And so wow. to not forsake our brokenness, but to accept our peace in the picture and to be proud of where we sit in it.
1: Um, Yeah, probably one of my favorite conversations of all time, really just... Grateful for the time. Like I said, we're going to have show notes. Make sure you connect with Race to Stay on Instagram. Be on the lookout for the book that comes out July 4th. Easy date to remember. Yes. Uh, Love that. (laughs) Natalie, thank you so much for just letting us hear your heart and uh, spending some time with us on Worshipology.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great talking with you. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.